This is from Justin McCain, a podcast where Mike Robertson and Bob LaRue watch one critically acclaimed film and one terrible film and talk about how they are the same. Welcome to From Justin to Kane. Uh, we're still us. Uh, it's your hosts, Mikey Pants and Bobby Pants. That's right. And uh, yeah, this episode is a real fun one. I just have to interrupt. Is that a reference, Pants? Is that a thing? It's from our last episode, or one of our last episodes. Because Sheesh. of Joey Pantaleone, they call him Joey Pants, and we called ourselves Bobby and Mikey Pants. That's right. That's right. Wow. You don't remember any of these things because you don't listen to them after you say the things, whereas I have to. <laughs> yeah, I like, uh, imagine like your mind is a piece of paper. I yes. just, as soon as we stop recording, I just crumple it up in my hands and chuck it in a recycling bin. Yes. You know what I mean? Or just you know, flush it down the toilet. Meanwhile, I am taking the scraps of the piece of paper and just slowly stitching them together. <laughs> <laughs> Into what we uh, give the canines out in the world the canine pants yeah welcome to this episode canine pants um caney pants do you say camey pants caney pants caney okay much better i thought you said camey and i was like that's not appropriate not appropriate watch watch yourself fella so this episode um we are watching our good movie is um trying a little something a little different yeah and uh jonathan demi's 1984 Concert film of the Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense. Very mm-hmm. fun watch. Amazing. And the bad movie is a uh, now somewhat obscure, or I guess not obscure because <laughs> you can find it probably fairly easily. It's, it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. It's just forgotten. It was. Just, if you go down a Jason Biggs rabbit hole, which I think people do, mm-hmm. this ends up near the bottom of the list. Or a Freddie Prince Jr. hole. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, we watched uh, the 2000 film, Boys and Girls. And boy, howdy, could it ever be more 2000? Yeah, it's as as 2000 as it gets. It really has that pre-9-11 optimism. I don't know what you're saying, but I agree (laughs) with it completely. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) yeah, so Talking Heads and Boys. So it's called Boys and Girls. It's not a great film. Not like the worst movie. It's still watchable. And it's like Freddie yeah. Prince's kind of high school trilogy, apparently. Um, it's, what do you mean by that? Because he, she, she's all that, and then this film, and then there's another one called Down to You, I think. Right, where he kind of right. plays a high school college student in all of these, and I think he tried to avoid doing that after kind of being typecast after she's all that. Well, he he thought that this film would be a great departure. The reason he took it was not because it was the same director or the same production company. But because he didn't want to play a pretty boy, so he wanted to play a quote unquote geek. Yes. And he was really excited by that. I have some quotes I'll read later on it, but it's mm-hmm. like it's a stretch. He's really excited about like the range he was able to show in this film. Yeah. But I would not describe him as like uh you know, this wasn't a powerhouse performance. No. Yeah, not really a whole lot of range. Especially also it's like range within he's still the context pretty. of high school. Yeah. It's yeah. like you're either a jock or you're a geek. It's like, I can play both. Yeah, look at my range. I did appreciate that he was playing a different type of character, though. I do appreciate he wasn't playing like the the cool pretty boy jock. So mm-hmm. way to go. Well, that's why he took the role. 
Yeah, way to go, FPJ. Freddie Prince Jr., the only son of Freddie Prince. That's correct. While we're on the topic of uh, boys and girls, I mean, you can start telling us some facts about it maybe, but it seems to be a remake in spirit of When Harry Met Sally, a recent movie we covered. Yeah, it's like a 2000s reinvention or something of When Harry Met Sally, and they would say that on posters. And it's true. It's like a much worse watered down version of When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, but for the younger generation. But but the plot description's the same. It's like uh, their friendship is tested because they have sex. Yes. And then ultimately it's not a friendship, it's a romantic relationship. Yes. Which is both friendship and, you know, whatever. It's complicated. But human feelings, aren't they complicated? Yeah, because I didn't know anything about it when I started watching it. And then as I was watching it, I was like, oh, wait, this seems familiar. These It's a knockoff. People who of... don't like each other start mm-hmm. slowly becoming friends and then slowly becoming more than friends. The other thing they do is they do a not amazing job of de-aging these people Yes, uh, for the younger scenes. Mm-hmm. And then they're clearly just almost 30 yeah. playing high schoolers. Claire Forlani was 29 when she played this role. Wow. Ray Prince Jr. was 24. Wow. And they literally play like 10-year-olds in the opening scene mm. on the airplane. Wait, no, that's yeah. not them. <laughs> oh, right, right. No, no, sorry. <laughs> you thought the they were playing high literal school. children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, okay, I'll start talking about uh, Boys and Girls. Um, Boys and Girls came out in the year 2000, uh, directed by... Robert Iskov or Iskov, I don't know, I-S-C-O-V-E. I don't know how his last name is said. Right. He primarily directed television movies, but the two big films that he directed was this one and uh, She's All That. And, and there's a very important movie to this podcast. From Justin and Kelly? Yeah. He directed that? Yeah, so this is the second film by that same director for some what? reason. I just did research. How did that not come up? I don't know. You what didn't do a very good job, I guess. Well, I got distracted because I had to poop. So, oh, he's Canadian too. Wow. Oh, shit. You're right. 2003 from Justin and Kelly. Fuck. This guy's a maverick. The man inspired the pod. <laughs> he's the reason we're doing this. Yeah. If it wasn't for Robert Iscove being born, we would probably be dead in a ditch somewhere. I couldn't have said it better myself, Mike. Yeah. Wow. Second film by him. Who's the other person we've done two films by? Oh, we've done many films by a couple of people. I wouldn't know because M- I don't M. Night Shyamalan, we've done a couple. Oh, that's right. That's right. Sixth Sense, Seventh Sense, Eighth Sense. All great films. Great trilogy. Yeah. Um, the guy who did Mac and Me, we did two movies by him. That's right. That's right. <laughs> In one year. Maybe we don't have range the same way that Freddie Prince Jr. does. You yeah, know what I mean, it's true. I think we, we really need to spread our wings a little bit. I agree, yeah. Uh, anyways, so directed by Robert Iscove, uh, starring Freddie Prince Jr. and Claire Forlani. So Freddie Prince Jr.'s like big, big break was She's All That. That film made $63 million. Wow. Which was a lot for 1999. Uh, Insane. Famously, Freddie Prince Jr. loves WWE. I know that. Yeah, that's big. kind of funny. Huge wrestling fan. He worked for uh, WWE for a while. He's been in the ring doing oh, yeah. like fake fights on multiple instances. And uh, 
That's insanity to me. Doesn't he still work for them? Or is, isn't he a writer? He was a writer in like 2012, and I believe he stopped being a writer. Maybe, maybe he remained a writer. I was reading about it, and it said like that was temporary. What's he doing now? He he still acts. Oh, I haven't seen him in. He's a uh, he. He does a lot of TV guest spots. Um, actually, similarly, so something that's interesting is Freddie Prince Jr. and Claire Forlani both had their big breaks in the late 90s. Um, her her like big big break was Meet Joe Black. That's correct. Great. Great three-hour, very romantic film. Get to see Brad Pitt do some accent work. It's great, great film. She was also in Mallrats. She she is, yeah. She's yeah. in Mallrats as a supporting role. Yeah, that was actually her like one of her first roles. Um, she's English, which is interesting. I would never know. No, because almost every single role she's ever had has been American, mm. which is wild. Just goes to show, you know, the range that people in the UK have. Yeah, that's true. You can really do any any old accent. Uh, but her her career and Freddie Prince Jr.'s careers are quite similar in that they had a very short stint where they were really on top, and then their careers kind of went into the shitter, so mm-hmm. to speak. <laughs> and uh, they basically just do terrible TV work now. But they're both in long-term relationships and have families and seem very happy. So I think there might be a correlation there. Also, well, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people like to judge uh, the careers of people in Hollywood mm-hmm. and say, oh, Freddie Prince Jr., he's, you know, he he was a huge star and then now he is just kind of doing random TV gigs. But it's like, well, I feel like if you're his age, why would you not want to just kind of collect a honking paycheck just to do a couple of days of work instead of having to be on some set for 30 days at a time? Yeah, or more. Or more, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And like you got kids and a wife. Like they've, they've both been married since the early 2000s and uh, they're still married and they have at least one kid each. And, you know, I think they're just living normal lives and they're just part of the, the entertainment machine, but they're taking it easy, which yeah. I respect. A lot of people do that, yeah. And the same thing, Jason Biggs also had like a crazy career that sort of started in the late 90s and petered out by the mid-aughts. Yes. Um, obviously, American Pie was like a massive hit. And then he went on to do four American Pie films. Yes. Which is insane. And then he did a few other shows and then basically fizzled out. But they all do TV work still and they keep busy, which is impressive. Um, will there be a fifth American Pie 20 years later? I hope so. Yeah, God, do I hope it, so. Because uh, the, the last one was, what, American Reunion or something like that? Yeah. It, well, so there's... Oh, sorry. He was in three, and then there's four spinoffs. No, because there's American Pie, the second one, American Wedding, yeah. and then American Reunion, I believe. So there is four that he was oh, in. Oh, four with him, and then I think there's four spinoffs oh, that, I'm that sure, he's not I'm in. I'm sure there's dozens of spinoffs. No, from what I read, I think there's only eight films. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, only eight. I just feel like every time I go on Netflix and I, and I look through the comedies, there's always American Pie, Squirrel Academy, and it's like, what? what? This. I mean, it's a real like franchise, you know? Yeah, and all you have to do is just cast a no-name person and call them Stifler. Yeah. To say that they're in the Stifler family, and it's enough. <laughs> and show boobs, well, I guess. Those are two tenets of, uh, two, uh, yeah, show bobos. Yeah, show some uh, bobos. Those are tenets of comedy i know i I think if anyone knew that it'd be you you just need stifflers and bobos (laughs) stifflers well you you get stiffler from the bobos you know what i mean (laughs) uh Uh, that's some sex ed for you yes so yeah robert iscove directed primarily tv movies 
I guess his three big films are She's All That, Boys and Girls, and from Justin to Kelly, which uh, I can't believe I didn't didn't figure that one out. No, you, I'm ashamed you a little bit. You are no longer a canine. Just a just a lowly human. Yeah, just a lowly lowly human, human uh, co-host. So so many so many canines right now are listening and just barking like. You know, if there's somebody howling, not, if the doorbell rings, you know, and they have a dog just like, rah, 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 oh, yeah, constantly. That's what the canines yeah. are doing. But like be, to the podcast, they're listening to it. And then they're just freaking barking at you because you didn't know they're, what they're, Robert is they're doing the directed. proverbial thing. Like when you leave them at home alone and they punish you by going into your closet and ripping your clothes up yeah. while you're at work. They're doing that to me, everyone. And yes. I feel it. And it sucks. And I'm sorry. I'm a disservice to are many, many listeners. Uh, anyway, continue. So, um, yeah, to talk about this role, so Robert Iskov, Iskov uh, said that Prince, Freddie Prince Jr. wanted to blow away the good-looking guy image and grow as an actor. And Freddie Prince Jr. said, most people won't give me a chance to play something different than the good-looking guy, but I'd love to try new things, love doing something I haven't done before. And the chance to play a geek was the reason I took the role in the first place. Mm-hmm. So this is like a real, this was like a real heavy, heavy move for him. And he took it and uh, he's sort of pulled it off. He's still pretty, but oh, yeah. um, he's nerdy. You know what I mean? Uh, interesting. Claire Forlani was not actually cast in the role. Um, Anna Friel was. And then just before shooting started, she left due to creative differences but it's not documented whether she was fired or she left voluntarily. Mm-hmm. Um, there seems to be no literature on that. Is she also British? Uh, I have no friggin' clue. Let's just say yes. It's fun to she just is. make assumptions. Yeah, oh, she's, she's born in too. Greater Manchester. Oh, interesting. Claire Forlani was born in London. Mm. Just a little side fact. It's a fun little fact. Uh, so this this film was part of a multiple picture deal with Miramax, Harvey Weinstein made she's all that then he made this film both miramax films he as we all know is an insane person and (laughs) he had some crazy crazy notes for both these movies he wanted a sword fight and she's all that which didn't make sense and then he demanded that there be a sword fight in this film right and they refused. They said, that doesn't make any sense. It's a contemporary college film. Why would there be a sword fight? And he was very upset with them. But ultimately, they won. And apparently, there's just like a whole slew of insane notes that he would send that he thought, I guess, were funny. Not dissimilar to the guy who produced Wild Wild West and insisted on there being a spider in the film. Yeah, that was a great choice. Great, great choice. Um, a lot of, yeah, certain producers, especially within comedy, I feel like they can really ruin the movies they're making. Yeah, they don't know what they're talking about a lot of the time. Yeah, and they just have arbitrary wishes that have nothing to do with the subject matter of the film. Uh, the film was filmed at Berkeley during a semester, so they used real students in the majority of the scenes, which would have been kind of cool. I feel like going to Berkeley, you're in the Bay Area, and there's a movie filming on your campus, that would have been sick. I've been to Berkeley and as as have i yeah i didn't know at the time that i was on the set of boys and girls <laughs> you were there in 19 late 1999 i was yeah oh wow wow uh claire forlani so the dancing scene she took the role not being aware apparently it wasn't in the script the dancing scene 
Yes. At that bar where they get covered in suds or milk or whatever. The scene horrified me. As one does. The shaving cream? I think and it was just soap. I just, you, you can tell it's pre-cell phone era. Yeah. Pre-Apple Watch, because that shit would not fly now. There's way too much technology floating around people's bodies to be like, yeah, we're just going to get you wet without yeah. your consent. Yeah. You know? It was because they were playing car wash. And apparently this dance club has a real setup just in, for that one song. <laughs> Just imagine the cleanup. Yeah. Like the logistics alone for how short the experience would be does not justify the immense cleanup. Mm-hmm. And so slippery. Anyway, so they do this dance scene. She didn't know about it, it wasn't in the script. And uh, there was a dance troupe hired for the film, and they were prepping for weeks, and she had to learn the choreography in 30 minutes. Right. Like on the day, they were like, oh, you just got to learn this real quick. And she was fucking pissed, apparently. But she did a good job. Yeah, she. She did a great job. And then um, Freddie Prince Jr. was like, oh, this is easy. But he was supposed to be bad at it. And yeah. she was mad at him because he's like, why are you having such a hard time? But he was bad at it, but he was supposed to be. And she had to know her shit. Yeah. And that dance troupe have gone on to become the Jabberwockies. <laughs> Wait, what? Just kidding. I wish that were true. I wish it were true, too. Uh, yeah. And then my my last fact yeah not much was written about this film which i think is also what? a message in and of itself <laughs> about how unremarkable it is and how it really it made seven million dollars in the first weekend and then i think it made nothing after that classic like people were all hot hot and ready for it the first weekend and then the reviews came out and it was just like let's not see this movie well and it really didn't make a splash Especially after She's All That, which made a shitload of money. But I remember I was working in a video store when this movie came out on DVD. Ooh. And it was frequently rented. Oh. So. Shit. That was the era of, of uh, you know. Sle- a movie hits. could bomb, but it would become like a, a minor hit on DVD. That's Not even right. like a, yeah, a hit in the sense of like Austin Powers was like, didn't do well in the theaters. And then it was a. Massive hit on VHS, and that's how the movies got like more and more popular every time. Yeah, because it really just found its audience on VHS. This movie mm-hmm. found its audience, but it and it probably made its money back and more. But yeah, it wasn't a hit. Hit. It was just like well, yeah, especially is, compared to She's All That, which exactly cleaned up, you know. Um, and yeah, so Claire was twenty nine, and Freddie Prince Jr. was twenty four when they made this film, and uh, it shows. <laughs> yeah. Also, here's a similarity, uh, same Z, for you. Yeah. Both movies are, have choreographed dances in them. Yes. And both films say the word boyfriend at some point. Yes. Just to hop right on that. Yeah. <laughs> and love, uh, also. And love, yes, yes. Um, oh, I guess one last thing is, I thought that Claire Forlani's roommate was the gal who made Russian Doll. Yeah, and she kind of looks like not. a bargain bin version of that person. Yeah, and I was going to just say that without researching it, and then I looked it up, and I was like, whoa, that's a different person. Crazy. Some Sometimes she was on the poster, and sometimes she wasn't. Like, she's not yes. famous. No. She no, just she got isn't. cast as that character for some reason. But she's working. I mean, her IMDb is full. It's a lot of TV stuff. Yeah, she seems like one of those actors who makes a couple of teen movies or whatever, or makes some movies... When she's really young mm-hmm. and then disappears and then comes back and is just full on CSI, you know. Literally everyone in this shows. film 
is on CSI, some iteration of CSI. Literally all of them, and it's awesome. The woman or Law and Order. The woman who played the love interest in uh, Cool as Ice, the Vanilla Ice movie we watched a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's just on TV. Yeah, I mean it's a living, and you work like nine to five. It's a living. It's a living. Uh, Anyways, that's all. uh, That's all I I got. It. That's all I got. Great. So, um, stop making sense. 1984 American mm-hmm. concert film featuring yes. the Talking Heads. That's right. Uh, the Talking Heads are from New York, and mm-hmm. this was filmed at the Pantages Theater in Hollywood mm-hmm. in December 1983. Uh, this was directed by Jonathan Demi, mm-hmm. and they shot it over three nights at this theater. And I believe that the 1983 Speaking in Tongues was the album they came out with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, based on my own listening of the Talking Heads, I believe that was like the peak of their fame. I think it was, yeah. Like the albums after that are not necessarily worse. It's just like that was like, yeah, I just remember that album in particular was pretty good, Speaking in Tongues. So, um, so they performed over three nights. Jonathan Demme said he shot one of the nights he just like, Focus on getting a lot of wide shots. Uh, I guess that also means that everybody in the movie was wearing the same clothes every night. Well, you know it's insane that they filmed for three nights and could intercut. Like that's yeah. insane. I yeah, I didn't even notice. I didn't know that it was three nights until I read about it. No, I know. Like that's a testament to them as musicians. I think and how that how actually tightly choreographed that show is because it doesn't feel tight, but it is. Yeah. And yeah, because they they do dance and there is choreography and stuff. But yeah, I also watched an interview with Jonathan Demme and he talked about how he would like hold on some long takes sometimes just because he was just trying to find the most interesting thing. So if mm-hmm. nothing else more interesting was happening, then he wouldn't really just cut back and forth just to maintain mm-hmm. some sort of like quick pace. It was more just like find the most interesting thing on stage, focus on that. Maybe you're watching mm-hmm. David Byrne a close up for a minute. You know? Yeah, you don't yeah. know. Um, so anyway, the band plays uh, a selection of their their songs from all the way back from their first album, Psycho Killer, opening yep. the the show. Great and then song. also um, two of the members of the band, the uh, drummer and the bass player, are in a relationship, and they're also in a side group called the Tom Tom Club. That's right. Which uh, they had that song "Genius of Love," which is supposedly one of the most sampled songs ever. That makes sense. Yeah, that Mariah Carey song samples it. The concept of the concert film was devised by David Byrne, and um, it's basically like a the show starts with it's just him on stage with a boombox, and he just kind of dances and plays guitar to the boombox, and then every song a new person joins the stage, and then they there's also crew members assembling the set mm-hmm. until it's like a full concert thing. So you kind of get to see the concert set get put together as you're watching the show and the band get bigger and bigger and so it's the the main four of the band and then they also a couple of musicians who are all supposedly legends Mm -hmm. um uh, another big part of the movie is that they recorded all of the audio using 24 track digital sound which um i watched this you know with surround sound sounds awesome sounds great sounds really good still like really holds up uh, so it was one of the first films made entirely with digital audio techniques. So, so not tape. Not tape. 
Yeah, cool, cool. Back in 1984, huh? I guess so, yeah. Yeah, it's like a brand new Sony system. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, The budget of the movie was $1.2 million. It made like $6 million at the box office, I guess. Mm-hmm. And the band put the money together themselves. Uh, it's one of the most revered uh, concert films of all time. It might be the best. It might be one. the best. I mean, people say The Last Waltz. I've seen it. It's not as good. Okay. I've never seen it. It's fine. Uh, Leonard Malton says, greatest concert rock movie ever made. Mm-hmm. Pauline Kael says, this movie is close to perfection. I took those from Wikipedia. I didn't look up nice. those specific people. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. You are see a what they Pauline said. fan. I mean, there's a couple of us Kale heads out there. Yeah. The film has been put into the National Film Registry in 2021 uh, because it is culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress. Yeah. Um, I watched it on Blu-ray, but the VHS and Laserdisc has three extra songs included in the performance. Oh, really? There are only special features on the disc. So the song Cities, Mm -hmm. I, Zimbra, and Big Business. Oh, interesting. I don't. I'm not a that big of a Talking Heads fan that I could tell you how those songs go, but I knew most of the songs in this thing, most of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the giant suit that David Byrne wears, um, he got this person to design it, and is based on Japanese no theater, N-O-H, no mm-hmm. theater. So just like the big kind of uh, big suits that they wear in those theater shows. He kind of mm-hmm. got a Americanized version, that being like a business suit. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Demme has made other concert films. This movie, Neil Young, Heart of Gold in 2006, and he made a movie with Justin Timberlake in 2016. Oh, wow. And he died in 2017. R.I.P.? Yeah. Phantom Thread was uh, dedicated to him. Oh, wow. Famously very good friends with Paul Thomas Anderson. He seemed like the nicest guy. Yeah, very down to earth. And his Mm -hmm. filmography is very weird in a way that, like, makes sense. Yeah. You know, like he's just a guy and he's just doing stuff and some of it's awesome and some of it's not. Came up under Roger Corman. Oh, that's right. So his first movie was Caged Heat, like a woman in prison film. Yeah. So what a, what a range. He won the Oscar for Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Best director. Best picture, I guess, also. They also lit the audience the first night, uh, according to Jonathan Demme, but they found that it resulted in a terrible show because the Mm -hmm. audience was not inhibited like they would be if uh, they were in the dark. And the band was very insecure because the yeah. whole room was bright. So That would be weird. Yeah. Um, also, Jonathan Demme was making a movie at the same time. He was, he was directing this called Swing Shift with Goldie Hawn, mm-hmm. which famously had a chaotic development because that was the movie that she fell in love with Kurt Russell on. Oh, right. And so the producers were like, well, let's change the story so that she's in love with this guy because they have chemistry. Mm-hmm. He had to just shoot a bunch of random stuff that wasn't in the original script. That sounds like hell. And he told the funny story about how he they the shoot was going long, and he wasn't going to be able to make it to go to the the concert that night mm-hmm. on time. The AD came up to him and was like, "Actually, Ed Harris has a crazy headache, so he can't act it tonight." So they just sent everybody home. And then, as he was heading out to go to the concert, Ed Harris ran into him. He's like, "Let's go to this show, man." So he just went to go. He wanted to go party. <laughs> he wanted to go watch the Talking Heads, I guess. This fucking lies. Who wouldn't, though? I know. 
I was reading comments like uh, I watched a 4K rip on YouTube of this concert and all the comments were like, oh, my husband and I uh, skipped work the next day to like stay up late and see this concert. It's Mm -hmm. the best concert we've ever seen. Or it was like, I was so high at this show. It was the best day of my life. Yeah, it was trippy. It was like an amazing show. Seeing it live would have been incredible. And it's so jumpy. Like you just want to like dance, you know? Yeah, I I was tapping my feet the whole time. Me too. Me too. I was bobbing. You were bobbing. Bob was bobbing. Bob was bobbing. So he and Ed Harris. So Ed Harris bailed him out also. He bailed him out. In a way. Yeah, Yeah, that's sick. What a guy. Fucking solid dude, Ed Harris. Yeah, I didn't even know he was acting back then, but I guess he was. Me neither. I thought The Right Stuff was his first movie. He used to be in all the movies and now he's in none of them. Well, have you seen Kodachrome? No. Came out in like 2017 or 2018. It's pretty cute. It's a good little movie, and he's in it. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, he's in some stuff. Is it a rom com? Old. It is not, but it is romantic. He, but so. he was like on the movie poster in the 90s. Like yeah, he was that famous somehow. Yeah, even though he's not like a Brad Pitt figure. No, well, there's some guys who seem to they they they're like different sexy. They're yeah. sexy because of how they behave, not because yeah. of how they look. Whereas Brad Pitt's just like eye candy, you know. Yeah, yeah. I guess Ed Harris. Everybody was like, you see him on the poster. Okay, he's this movie is going to be at least well acted by somebody. Yeah. All right, we're in the same use corner. Same so zone. My, my the same Z zone. It's like the danger zone. That's great. Both films take place near a body of water. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong, though. You're not wrong. <laughs> no, but hear me out. So they're both in the same Berkeley, state. Ber- Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. They're in the same state. I don't care about that. So Berkeley. It's the Bay Area. There's a huge bay, and then obviously it's a sound or whatever, and goes out into the ocean. Yes. And they do a song called Take Me to the River. That's which right. Is a body yeah. of water. So it's 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 the same, but it's also different. You know what I mean? Well, I was going to I actually had something very similar to that. Oh, spicy. Songs from this concert that have something to do with this movie. I went through the playlist, tried to find connections. Mm-hmm. So we've got Take Me to the River, because they're always looking at the water. They're always hanging out there. That's like their thing, the two characters. Yeah. Genius of Love, Jason Biggs' character. He's a bit of a manipulator. Yeah. Uh, Boyfriend is Better. Yeah. Is a song. Making Flippy Floppy is the central conflict in the movie. They, they made That's Flippy right. Floppy. Made Flippy Floppy and it <laughs> challenged their friendship. Yeah. Also challenging their friendship, there's a song called Found a Job. She, oh, shit. She goes yeah. to Italy at the end of the movie. That's or right. she has to well, decide well, whether she's, she's going, going to. to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, once in a Lifetime. A friend mm. friendship like that happens, you know? Until and, you flippy floppy with each you, other. Then you and make it all flippy goes to floppy, hell. yeah. And then burning yeah. burning down the house only because he's an architect in the film. That's right. Well, the little bridge he makes gets destroyed, and that's sort of similar to burning down the house. Nice, nice. Burning down the house is a banger. It's a real banger, yeah. Take Me to the River, real banger. I actually hate the My Boyfriend's Better Than Yours song. Yeah. Uh, but I get it. He got to he had to put on that giant suit, so they had to kill time. I like the choreo; like the bass player is working hard. Yeah, but but I hate the song. Yeah, that's fine. But I I was gonna say you like did this more 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 better than I I <laughs> did because you went through the whole set list. But I was like, yeah, there's a song called "My Boyfriend's Better Than Yours," 
And uh, there's sort of that vibe in uh, uh, Boys and Girls. Two roommates are like having boyfriend trouble, and sometimes one boyfriend's better than the other. And yeah, you know, sometimes sort of the sub- same subject matter wise, very similar. Yeah, uh, yes. we already established both movies are in California. Yes, uh, in both movies, a boombox is present on screen because at the beginning of Talking Heads, they you start mm-hmm. playing Psycho Killer with a boombox. That's, that's right. where the drum beat's coming from, supposedly. And then um, mm-hmm. when he's hanging out with Jason Biggs in his uh, uh, apartment, uh, you just see like old school like CD player boombox on the mm-hmm. counter. Uh, both both films show like uh, the real thing happening while the movie's happening. Mm-hmm. So you see like stagehands building the set while the performance is going on in Stop Making Sense. Mm-hmm. And in uh, Boys and Girls, they use real students in almost every scene. That's and those correct. are clearly not actors. They probably didn't get paid. And they're just there, yeah, living their lives, and there happens to be cameras on them. So actually, maybe what the similarity is, there's an audience, a weird real audience in both films. Right. Um, and uh, that would be funky. Just it's crowds. like, oh, there's a film crew at this thing? Like, I'm just trying to attend class, but there's a film crew. And it's like, well, I just want to see this concert, but they're filming it. Mm-hmm. So that's weird. Both movies kind of, there's giant clothes present Oh, uh, in that David Byrne is wearing a giant suit. And then mm-hmm. in Boys and Girls, Freddie Prince Jr., because it's the year 2000, he's wearing these giant sweaters all the time. Oh, I know. And it's it was like, such a bad time for clothing. It was a bad time for clothing. And I had sweaters like that. I just remember wearing these big kind of thick ropey sweaters uh, with like did. those terrible patterns and you get them at, I don't know, the Gap, I guess. Mm-hmm. And also both movies, the main Male lead, David Byrne mm-hmm. and uh, Freddie Prince Jr.'s are, uh, I would say, wearing glasses as a character choice. Mm. Because mm. I don't know that yes. David Byrne wears glasses all the time, and it seems like he's kind of he doing doesn't. it to wait, to go with the suit to kind of play on some sort of like anxiety of American society, you know, like from um, friggin' uh, once-in-a-lifetime music video. I just stumbled upon this same Z. It's sort of a, a higher-level one because it has to do with production, but... Both films have a key member making two films at once. Really? So Jonathan Demme was directing a movie and directing this concert film at the same time. And Jason Biggs was flying between Vancouver and L.A. He uh, was a guest panelist on The Masked Singer last year. Oh, he was, <laughs> also, in, cool. he was also in Orange is the New Black. He was a big role in Orange is another, the New Black. Another, so both movies have somebody connected to women in prison as a oh, cinematic concept, I guess. That's right. That's because, right. Because uh, D- Jonathan Demme did Gage Teat. So. That's right. Great. Very good. Um, my last one is both films have like, uh, you know, uh, a real sort of large ensemble behind the main people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like the whole university campus and a whole bunch of supporting characters in Boys and Girls. And uh, there's just like a huge honking band behind David Byrne. Yeah, it's true. Um, that's my last one. Here's a fun similarity. Both movies really perpetuate music by new wave artists. Mm. Um, that being the music of the talking heads. They were like a central mm-hmm. figure in the new wave uh, music movement. The uh, score was composed by none other than Stuart Copeland. From, really? From the police. What the fuck? That's awesome. So yeah, after his time in the police, he kind of just like became a film composer and he composed some decent movies, but he also would just do trash, it looks like too. 
you know, there's a lot of money to be made as a composer. Well, from what I've read, it's a, a great gig. A lot of people who like, especially during this Joe Rogan Spotify kind of stuff, people are mm-hmm. all, people are a lot of musicians are talking about Spotify and how it's basically bad business because mm-hmm. you don't make any money. Yeah, um, and most of your money comes from licensing your music somewhere. Mm-hmm. Or from film composing, like if you want to be a musician, you can make most of your music music from composing. And even being a, a songwriter for hire is not even that profitable anymore. No. Well, look at Johnny Greenwood. Like he's like a renaissance man because like this year alone, I think he did three films. Yeah. And Trent Reznor too. Yeah. Trent Reznor is a great example. And I think filmmakers are going to like band members now instead mm-hmm. of like Danny Elfman or John Williams or Jerry Goldsmith. It's like, no, I really love this band. I'd love to see them. The one guy out of that band that I resonate with, that I resonate with. I want to hire them. <laughs> Resonor, you know. Resonorate with? <laughs> I, I really resonate with your music, Trent. Trent is such an aggressive name. His real name is Michael. Michael Resner is a great name. His middle name is Trent. Uh, living a lie must be so hard. Yeah. Johnny Knoxville. I learned mm-hmm. this because the new Jackass, Jackass movie came out this week, and I haven't seen it, but I was watching some old jackass clips and are you a fan of jackass i love it cool um anyway his name is philip john clapp i guess what but he's from this the city of knoxville so he just calls himself johnny knoxville wow that's cool which is a good name that's a great name um but also you said danny elfman was a composer he was actually in oingo boingo so he was a oh yeah that's right he was like a pop star he was actually a pioneer of this kind of movement yeah yeah both movies, there's a one-on-one dance between two people. Uh, there's oh, yes. like a big choreographed dance with a lot of people in both, but then there's also a one-on-one dance, that being Freddie Prince Jr. and Claire Forlani doing their little dance in the soap thing. Mm-hmm. And they're bumping and grinding. And then in the Talking Heads movie, he does like a a dance with a lamp. Oh, that's right. I love that little yeah. scene. It's awesome. And I guess like Claire Forlani's lamp-esque. Yeah. People, I think her nickname in college was Lamp. Who was? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Great work, Mike. Really. We did did good work today. Sterling, Sterling Samesies. Thank you. Some Sterling Samesies from you as well. Yeah. It was fun. It was fun to like change it up a little bit. Yeah. We kind of went dumpster diving, but we also did like a niche, very cool movie with uh, the concert film. Yeah. I don't know about doing movies like Boys and Girls that are like, not obscure because they're easily available to watch. It's just unremarkable. Nobody cares about it. Yeah. It's like yeah. such a, but also it's a time capsule. So I, I think it embodies not dissimilar to my lengthy letterboxed review, which I will not read on this podcast. Look for it if you want to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it really encompasses a time. It does. And the casting alone is like a very sort of, emblematic uh message of the era and yeah. how weird weird hollywood was and weird comedies were and people were starting to realize like that college movies were going to be this new thing but they're mm-hmm. going to be hyper raunchy or whatever and you can just see the dna of that in this film even though it's a pretty timid movie yeah there's only a one scene in it i think where it feels like it's trying to capitalize on the kind of gross out comedy of the era yeah, where Jason Biggs, he's doing, he's in a dance class with a bunch of people, mm-hmm. and he's just hitting on all these women, and it's like, I guess it's not raunchy, but 
just feels like there was this kind of era of comedy films where characters were extreme assholes. Yeah. Uh, and that was supposed to be funny to us. And we were also supposed to uh, like sympathize. And Jason Biggs was in a bunch of these movies. Um, there's a movie well, with him I, and Dane Cook called My Best Friend's Girl, which is insane right. how um, misanthropic all of the characters are in that movie. And yeah. we're all supposed to just care that they fall in love. Yeah. Well, a lot of his work doesn't hold up. And no. I read a short thing stating that this film is like an interesting evolution because his character starts out as this like timid manipulator who's terrified of women yes and then he basically becomes his character from american pie by the very end Mm -hmm. and his hair is black he's in his ganch he's walking around in the kitchen after sleeping with uh claire forlani's roommate and he's just the american pie guy yeah um so this film like either evolves or devolves into that character which he would then get typecast for like the next eight years i guess freddie prince jr did the same thing he was the the nerd at the beginning and then he took his glasses off and based on the rules of she's all that she's he's not a nerd anymore that's right that's right so um so yeah anyway you love rom-coms and you love when harry met sally what are your thoughts on boys and girls i thought it was not good uh okay i think one milk bone out of five Wow, and the the end the end scene. I guess we you know it would be a failure on my part to not bring this up. But <laughs> when Jason Biggs uh, is buying, he's just in a lady's underwear store, and then yeah. those models want to like get frisky with him. Uh, but then they start farting. Yes, and then they want him to fart, and then he starts to fart, and it grosses them out, and they leave him. Right. Uh. Really is an upsetting scene. Doesn't make any sense. I feel like you could uh, build some sort of theory about the genesis of incel culture, sort of culminating from this scene, because like the women are the bad guys yeah. in this scene, and that's like a weird way to look at things, you know? Yeah, there was. Yeah, I'm not sure that this movie specifically was the genesis. I think you're giving the movie too much credit. No, I'm I'm a, I'm a double down. I think it's the Genesis. <laughs> oh, okay, uh, it's, uh, but yeah. just post Y2K, um, and it's the incubator for the incel movement. Yeah, that it would seems sort like of culminate it. from Google. There are like a lot of movies where characters were yeah, kind of incel-y. and mm-hmm. Five Hundred Days of Summer, I believe, is a satire of this. But yes, it's still if you don't if you're not aware of that, then it's uh, just propaganda for incel culture in some ways. That's right. That's right. That's. I think that's why it resonates with me so much. Mm, yeah. Also, Wa- Wally <laughs> as well. Uh. Oh yes. Yeah, Wally wants to be with uh, Eva. Eva. But uh, yeah. So he's just a creep. He's a fucking pervert, is what yeah, he is. Call, call him what he is. He's a fucking pervert. Dirty uh, perv. Um. Yeah. Anyway. Um. And uh, what did you think about the Talking Heads movie? Oh, I love it. It's the second time I've seen it. And it's what what I love about it is that it gets better as it goes on. Like they're they're literally building the show and the opening's like cool, but it's not amazing. But by the last third, you're into it. Oh, yeah. And it's a full on production. And I I love that because I think a lot of concerts get boring. Yep. But this kind of starts boring and it gets good, which is the right way to do it. I agree. And I like that there's no encore. Also, the edited version. I'm just like, they leave, they bring out the like stage crew and then they just all leave and it's like, oh shit, nice. That's a power move to just literally leave. Yeah, and they bring out the stage crew like in the middle of a song almost, so the stage yes. crew don't even really get that much attention. 
No, that's true. Which I thought was a bit disrespectful. Yeah, disrespectful to all those. Stage hands. Stage hands, yeah. Yeah, I thought Boys and Girls was meh. Mm -hmm. I do remember vividly the movie poster from just having to rent it to people at the video Mm -hmm. store 20 years ago. Um, And yeah, it's like not as good as When Hermit Sally. Uh, It tries to philosophize throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But just kind of just seems like everything they say is meaningless. Yeah. Claire Forlani is charming though. She, I think she's a great actor, and I wish her career had taken another path. Yeah, they also it, she is good. It's also one of the great examples of a rom com where there's no jokes in it. Yeah, it's not a funny film, and they threw in the Jason Big scenes. I feel like just to be like, oh yeah, damn it, this is a rom com, but we didn't make any jokes, <laughs> so let's just get this guy to just uh, basically harass women. A horny doofus yeah. who, yeah, it's just like accosting women. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and, yeah. Uh, and it works. It's funny. <laughs> Bob loves it. In fact, he's <laughs> yeah, taking it as, I, he's writing I was a manifesto taking notes the whole time it. and not for the podcast. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'll take a notes the whole time. And let me tell you, they're not helpful. Yeah. So I give it two milk bones because I think it's still watchable, but it's, not terrible. Yeah, yeah. It's like fairly innocuous, which is nice. It's not like too far. No. I think some of the American Pie films, you're like, this is nauseating. Like, I can't watch this. Yeah. But at least this film's like even keeled. It's not aggressive in the yeah, way that a lot of yeah. like comedies from that era were. This movie is yes. just like, man, these two characters are in love. Yeah. Will they, won't they, the end. Yeah. Uh, two Milk Bones. And Talking Heads, I mean, it's, yeah, it's awesome. Five Milk Bones, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is not my beautiful uh, dog dish. This is not my beautiful leash. <laughs> Canines are barking like, yes, yes, I love this. Great reference. They're salivating for this. Oh, my God. They're looking at their airtight dog food container because they know it's almost dinner time, and they're just barking at it because yeah. they're so excited. But inside, it's your sweet, sweet reference to that song. That's right. Yeah. All right, so... This feels over. That's good. Yes. Okay. And then yes. so uh, follow us on social media, you know, from Justin to Kane with the number two letterbox, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Yeah, Facebook, I guess. Facebook, I guess. Those are the catchphrases. We just said them all. Now, yeah. uh, what are the next week's movies, Bob? All right. Bobby Buckle Pins. up. This is going to be fun. We're doing Napoleon Dynamite. Yes. The, the sort of sterling comedic classic that nobody saw coming and still holds up. Yeah, okay. We'll see. And uh, a film probably no one listening to this has heard of. Gleaming the Cube with Christian Slater. Yeah, it's, it's a, a skateboarding, skateboarding movie from the 80s with Christian Slater, which I guess was like, it made some cultural impact at the time, but nobody remembers it. Yeah, I don't think it holds up over time, but I think it helped like skating in the 80s. Like it kind of brought it back because there was a real dry spell I think it was the late 80s before the X Games became a thing. Yeah. And skating really died out after, like, at the end of the 70s. I mean, we'll we'll get into it next week, but. Yeah. Did there's ever, a real interesting hot and cold history with skateboarding in America. Did you ever see that movie Rad? Uh, no. I believe it's about BMXing, but. I don't care about that. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. People BMX, that's cool. There was a time in the 80s pre-X- Dash Dream Sports. Yeah. Um, 
where things were extreme, but we just didn't know it yet. You know, <laughs> X dash Dream Sports. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, thing, things were extreme back then, like the extreme games. God damn. Yeah. But yeah, they, yeah. people just didn't know it yet. But people were just doing extreme stuff like skateboarding and BMX. Uh, anyways, uh, those are the two films, and I think this is going to be a fun one. It's kind of like we're, you know, an indie hit from the early aughts and a weird skateboarding movie. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I, yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.